Please pray with me. Oh, Father, we pray that you would care for us and encourage us and speak truth to us through your word. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you. Thank you from Father Joshua and myself for having a chance to come and be with you today as Jean is uh, taking some rest and being refreshed. Um, you're going through a sermon series, and uh, Jean asked us to continue. So we're going to be in Romans today. Uh, last time, uh, as he was talking to you, the drumbeat of his sermon really was uh, that you are saved, that we are saved, that in Christ we have been freed. And that's an incredible thing. And today we're, we're going to talk about the fact that uh, we are heirs with Christ and heirs of God. And, and we're going to talk about our being saved and our being freed and what's the, what is that rooted, grounded, and secured in. So if you've got your Bibles, please uh, open to Romans with me. Somehow my uh, ribbon ended up in Obadiah. I don't know how that happened since first service. So we're in Romans. We're starting in 12, and Paul's talking. He's, he's done reassuring us of our, our freedom and our salvation, and he says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. A debtor. <clears throat> a debtor is someone who, who's bound and tied to his debt. Someone who has uh, demands upon them from their debt. And Paul really wants us to know that we don't have that anymore. We've been freed from the shackles of sin and death. We are no longer under that law. And to break that means there's nothing you owe your sin. There's no time you need to spend on your sin. It's done. Christ has taken care of it. By the blood of his cross, we have been made new. We don't have to live according to the flesh. And to live according to the flesh is to walk in that manner, to constantly be walking in that pattern uh, in... Um, Earlier in 8, it talks about having uh, the mind on the flesh, so that, that habitual pattern. And uh, there's a promise here in the next sentence, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. In the Greek, that's an, an imperative, which you don't have to remember, but the importance about that is it's stating a reality. It's stating a non-conditional fact. It's just true. When we live according to the flesh, death comes. But Paul's emphasis has been, we have the spirit in us. We're not bound to that life anymore. We're not bound to that way of walking. And the inverse, he continues on, but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Also in the imperative, also 
there is nothing can, that can stop this. This is true. It's something you can rest your foundation on. God says, when you walk by my spirit, life comes, and nothing can thwart that. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. Let's spend some time with that. Where is the grounding of this? For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. Is it for all who are led by the Spirit and constantly do everything right are sons of God? No. Is it for all who are led by the Spirit and never mess up? No. We know it's not true because, like, one chapter ago, Paul is talking about how he's constantly messing up. I do what I do not want to do, and what I want to do, I don't do. And so, that law is active within my body. So it can't be that. The grounding here is the Spirit's work. Right? For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. That for all who... Uh, it might be helpful to think of that in English as as many as, uh, because there's two sides to it. There's a restrictive side. So there are some that aren't led by the Spirit. And if you aren't led by the Spirit, you aren't a son of God. You aren't a daughter of God. You're outside of that condition. But there's also an inclusiveness to it in that anyone led by the Spirit, everyone led by the Spirit, not a single one is left out from being a son or a daughter of God. So it's a subset of humanity, but everyone in that subset is included. If you have the Holy Spirit within you and active, you are a child of God. It's the reality of our condition. And that's really important for us because, as we know, the line between spiritual and fleshy things, things that are bent on worldly, it doesn't run outside the church. It runs in the middle of the church. In fact, it runs through the middle of us. And we've got this old man part that God is constantly working to divest us of, and we've got this new man part that is active and Paul talks about this. Like, that, that's true. Like, is it hard to follow Jesus? Yeah. Say yes quickly. It's hard to follow Jesus. It is hard to walk with Jesus in this life. Even though it is hard to follow Jesus, even though we sin, does that strip from you your relationship with God as his son or daughter? If you are in the spirit, no, it doesn't. You don't have to worry about that. You can rest in the Holy Spirit, grounding that reality for you. Paul's talking here, and <clears throat> this phrase he uses, led by the spirit, he's drawing on the Old Testament of the Exodus story. And in fact, in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this specific word in Greek is the same word used in the Exodus story that talks about God leading his people out of bondage. 
And so uh, as all the authors of Scripture do, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, when they, they look at these past stories and they pick up words that were used before and reuse them, they're, they're giving us travel points back. And we look at old stories to help us understand new stories. And we think about new stories as we look at old stories. And the witness of Scripture is in technicolor. It's beautiful. So this is this framework he's talking about. When the Spirit leads you, just like the Hebrews out of Egypt, you are his son. Now this, this is really astounding, remember, because this is to the Romans. And the Romans is a mixed church, isn't it? Claudius, Emperor Claudius in 46, he threw out the Jews, the people of God, that were, that have held the title of God's son. I have called my son out of Egypt, as the prophets write. And they've been out for a few years, and they've come back in, and the whole church has changed, right? Because there hasn't been a Jewish influence for over a decade, and the church has grown, and the church body at that time is probably around 100, so it's not big. And the Jews are coming back, and they're like, man, we don't recognize us. Where's all this, this patterns of life that we were walking in? Why aren't you behaving like we're supposed to be behaving? And that's, that's a big thing in Romans of working that out between the Christians of Jewish heritage and the Christians of Gentile heritage that have been put together. And for Paul here to say, if you are led by the Spirit, you are sons of God, is huge. It's huge. Our ears cannot hear that enough. <clears throat> and he goes on in 15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Again, we're back at Egypt, the spirit of slavery. Who can tell me, what did the Israelites really wrestle with when they came out of Egypt? What was their fear? If we could boil it down. Sorry. They didn't think God would take care of them, right? You brought me out here to kill me. We should have stayed in Egypt. At least we had cucumbers, right? <laughs> How soon they forget their state. They were worried. They were worried that God wasn't going to take care of them. This is, this is this fear, this spirit of slavery that, that is bound that the relationship is one of service and not of care. I mean, genocide was going on in Egypt, right? Can you imagine at that time the faith it took for Hebrew parents to have a child? Your child could be killed very shortly. And to be obedient to God's call to be fruitful and multiply and to actually have children. I have a friend, he's a um, mathematician. He teaches math. 
And we sat down and we tried to figure out, like, what's, what does the birth rate have to be to have that many people coming out of Egypt at the Exodus? And so we sat down and we did nerdy stuff. I'm an engineer, too. So we did nerdy stuff and we wrote formulas and whatnot. And it's like three or four children per family and you get that many people. Uh, and then we realized, oh, we didn't work in the death rate. Hmm. So you've got to have like six kids per family as you're doing this. That's a lot of faith of saying, we'll do what you tell us to do. But even so, as they get out, they're really worried. Will you actually take care of me? This is, this is a spirit of slavery. But that's not the spirit of adoption. Now, adoption here, Paul's not using anything Jewish in that term, adoption. Jewish, Jewish thinking at the time, adoption is a foreign concept. They didn't have it. So this is Roman. This is Greek thinking. And adoption to the Greeks is, is full. It's complete. There is no difference between the son or daughter that is adopted and the son and daughter that is natural born. They have equal rights, they have equal inheritance. There is no provision made for treating them differently. And it says, we've received the spirit of adoption. So if that's the case, if we get the exact same treatment as the natural born children, who is the child of God? Jesus, we're all adopted, right? So Paul's saying, look, if you're, if you're adopted, if you're an heir with Christ, the father treats you just as he treats his son. There's no difference. And because of that, Paul goes on to say, the spirit of adoption is the one by whom we cry, Abba, Father, now this is also, this is, this is odd for Abba, Father, to be used. Jewish prayer, up until past the fourth century, has no concept of addressing God as Father, let alone Abba. Like Abba is the, the dear familial child's term. Abba is daddy. So set aside daddy, father. There's no concept of father. And when it does show up in their prayer life, it clearly shows up through Christian influence. And so for the first century, after Jesus lives with his disciples and walks in this way of constantly addressing his father as Abba in his prayers, that's, that's the Lord's prayer. That's, that's his prayer to his father that he's given to us to pray. Our father, our Abba who aren't in heaven, hallowed be your name. And it continues on from there. And for him to say, you get to call my father this because you are fellow heirs with me. You get all the rights and privileges that I have and he loves you like he loves me. So when you pray, you call him Abba because that's who you are to him. How do we know this is true? Paul says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Deuteronomy 19 establishes the legal setting of, of what you need to establish credible witness, and it's a, a minimum of two. You have to have two witnesses. And so Paul, as a Jew, good Jewish boy, he studied his Torah, 
he's uh, reinforcing this. There's two witnesses. There's the spirit and there's our spirit. And together they testify that we are children of God. What does that look like and how do we know it's, it's true? Like let's get real practical at the moment. How many people have ever heard the voice of God? How many people have been able to discern, yeah, that really is the voice of God? This tells me that the Holy Spirit is constantly testifying to each and every one of you that you are God's child. God has not neglected you. He has not left you out. He cares enough about you to speak personally to each of you and testify that you are his child. Sometimes that's hard to discern of what's us and what's God. So how do we do that? When what we hear in our heart, some people have even heard audible. I've met people like that. When what we hear agrees with the witness of scripture, we can give that God. That is God. When, when the Spirit agrees with the Son and the Word and the Father's testimony, you can rest on that. So, as you're coming up to those situations in life, when you need that reminder that you are God's child, I want you to ask Him and then listen. And if you hear that, rest in it. That's the Holy Spirit telling you that he loved you, that you really are God's child. That takes practice. At least it takes practice for me. I'm getting better at it, I think. I'm not quite sure. So, two witnesses, both our spirit and the spirit, that we are children. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God... Remember, if you're God's heir, if you're adopted, God loves you just as much as he loves Jesus, and he makes no distinction between you. And fellow heirs with Christ. And then there's this bit at the end, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So what's going on here? So what is Christ to inherit? That's the question. What is Christ to inherit? Because whatever he's getting, we're getting too. That's what this says. God's inheritance is his people. Christ's inheritance is rule, is dominion, is kingship over creation. And this is telling us we get rule, dominion, and kingship over creation along with Christ. Should that surprise us? No. He's going all the way back to Genesis 1, right? In Genesis 1, it talks about people, male and female, he created them. In the image of God, he created them. So people are image bearers, okay? Now, what does that mean? That's significant. What does that mean? Image bearers are people who bear the image of God. 
it's not talking about our capacity for something. So uh, sometimes we might hear, well, we're image bearers and therefore we can love. We're image bearers and therefore we can create. We're image bearers and therefore we have the capacity for compassion, uh, wisdom, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All those are things that God has given us that we might be image bearers. But if I start taking out any of those, then I get to say you're not an image bearer, which is a big problem. That's what gets you Nazi regime killing people because they're inferior races. That's what gets you abortion. That's what gets you hate for your neighbor because they come from a different culture and you're worried about your safety and the safety of your country. Depending on what you're thinking about at the moment from that statement, there's any number of things in our country that might be that for us. And I'm referencing the Egyptians. The Egyptians looked at the Israelites and said, for our national security, we need to get rid of these people because they're dangerous. If you make image bearer our capacity to do something, as long as you confirm that they're not image bearers, not a problem. But if image bearer is our call to be God's representative on this earth, to rule and reign with him, which is the desire set out in Genesis 1, God wants to share his rule with us. He gives us dominion. It says that. Have dominion. What does dominion look like? It looks like bringing goodness and beauty in the world so that anything you are over, by your work, you cause to flourish. That's what Genesis 1 tells us. We're all image bearers. Some of us actually live in that because we have been joined with Christ who is the image bearer, who is the true human. And so right here, Paul is saying, look, if you're joined to Christ, what's that going to look like? If you really are in Christ, if you have the spirit, what will that look like? And that will look like what Christ showed us the upside down kingdom to be. When he came to this earth, did he come knocking heads together with a sword to drive out the Romans? No. The zealots were expecting that. Right? No, he, he came as a servant. He came to die. He came to suffer, to have compassion for us. The word here, suffer, means to enter into another's pain, to join with another. And if we are walking with Christ... If the spirit is in us, that's what our life is going to look like. It's going to be painful. And that's hard. It's hard to walk with Christ. It's hard to follow Jesus in this world. But when you enter into someone else's suffering and sit with them, it is in that moment you are sharing in Christ's glory, in his reign. So I want to give you a second. We've talked about what scripture has told us about who we are as joint heirs with Christ, loved like Christ by the Father. We've talked about 
the foundation of that is the Holy Spirit who leads us, and everyone he leads is a son, a daughter of God. And we've got it here, but we need to find out if it's here. So I'm going to give you a moment, um, and I'm going to ask you a question. I'm just going to let you sit with it. Uh, and then we're going to read a passage of scripture. Uh, if you need to close your eyes to focus, that's fine. So my question for you is, what does the almighty God, creator of the universe, think about you? When you pause and listen to your heart, Right now, what do you believe God thinks about you? Whatever is coming up from your heart and whatever the Spirit is saying to you, I want you to listen to these words. This is taken from Matthew chapter 3, and it says, <clears throat> Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. You come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Whatever you heard in your heart, this is what you need to hear from God's word. This is God's opinion of you as you are in Christ and washed by his blood and filled with his Holy Spirit. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter, in whom I am well pleased. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.